can't uh, meet in person, uh, but I'm praying that the Lord will uh, still continue to, to bless you uh, and keep you, especially through his preached word this morning. Uh, the format for, uh, for today will be similar to last week, uh, so we won't have any time of worship through songs this morning. Uh, so what I'll do is I'll, I'll open up uh, with an uh, extended um, time of prayer, uh, praying especially for those who are sick. And then we'll uh, open up the scriptures and read a passage of scripture for today's sermon, and then say a quick word for the preach, say a quick prayer for the preach word, uh, and then get into the sermon and conclude with a uh, with a prayer. But before we begin, let me give to you just some uh, some announcements. Uh, the first is that uh, for next week, uh, planning on coming together again, uh, so we will have a service next week if anything does. Uh, change, then I'll be sure to let you know, but next week, Lord willing, we will meet. And uh, with regards to next service, I, uh, I'm not yet sure if we will have Sunday school and child care, or really just depend on how people are, how certain people are feeling this week. So as soon as I know, then I will let you know, most likely uh, during the middle of the week in our newsletter that goes out each week. And by the way, if you are watching this and you don't have, and you're not part of that email distribution that receives the weekly newsletter, please let me know or uh, send an email to admin at sccnh.com and just identify yourself and let us know that you want to be a part of that email distribution that receives the weekly newsletter. Uh, and lastly, uh, we are still collecting uh, boxes for Operation Christmas Child. I know that we haven't been here uh, to pick up those boxes, uh, but you also can go online. Just You can Google Operation Christmas Child, and I'm sure you'll find the website, and you can do it all online. Uh, but I did want to remind you that we are still collecting boxes uh, for this wonderful ministry that just provides uh, not only uh, gifts um, for the holiday season for kids in third world countries, but provides just necessary um, materials and things uh, for, for, for kids uh, scattered uh, across the world uh, who don't have access uh, to the basic things that you and I uh, can, uh, can grab by just going down to the convenience store. Uh, whenever we have the time. So uh, those are all the announcements I have for us this morning. And uh, again, I know that we're not uh, together, and I do believe that, uh, that, the, that the church gathering uh, is, a, is a means of grace uh, to the saints, and I think we lose out on some of that, uh, some of that blessing, some of that grace when we cannot meet together. Uh, but my prayer and hope is that uh, even though we are separated by distance, uh, whether you are watching this uh, seated on the couch or in bed or on a table, on a desk, wherever it is, or whenever you are watching this, uh, that, that the Lord will speak to you, uh, that you would still receive this as God's word spoken directly uh, to you. Uh, so may we just uh, open our hearts and our minds uh, with meekness, uh, with humility to receive the word of God and see what the Lord has to teach us this morning. Uh, may we come before uh, the Lord uh, this morning and ask, is there a word from God today? And the answer is yes. So let me open us up with a time of prayer. So would you bow your heads with me if you are joining me this morning? Lord Jesus, you are the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and despise the shame, it is now seated at the right hand of God. 
we now have a wonderful Savior who is interceding for us. It is such a comfort to us to know that even when we fail to intercede for ourselves, that there is a wonderful Savior who is interceding for us. Lord, and even when we fail to intercede for ourselves, we are thankful that we have one another, that we have the church, that we have this family of God. We thank you that we have brothers and sisters who can intercede for one another. Lord, and there are so many, so many needs right now. Father, we... We pray this morning, we pray this morning for, for our dear sister Shantan as she continues to recover. Father, we pray that you may be with her, help her in her recovery. We pray that you would strengthen her. We pray that she would continue to entrust her soul into the God who is the author and perfecter of her faith. Father, we pray for the, the Bridgewood family. We pray for, for Gail and God. We pray that your peace and comfort would rest upon her heart and her mind. Lord, that she may not worry so much about things perhaps that are left undone, that she would not worry so much about those she leaves behind, especially Bill but that she would entrust them into your care. Father, would you increase the joy of her heart knowing that she will see the one who has authored and perfected <coughs> excuse me, her faith. And we do pray for Bill that you would comfort his heart. You are the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our weaknesses, in our trials, and in our sorrow. Would you be a comfort to him? Would you strengthen him and also comfort his family? Father, we pray for all those who are sick. Father, we pray that you would sustain them, God, that you would encourage their hearts even this morning through your word. Lord, please help your people to recover. Would you nurse them back to health? Would you restore everyone's energy. Would you restore, restore the sense of taste and smell, Lord, for those who have lost it? Would you grant relief? Would you protect us, God? Lord, in this time, may your people continue to abide in the vine who is Christ. Lord, may you be glorified in sickness. May you be glorified in these trials, Lord. Father, we pray, especially for, for Jean, who has trouble breathing. Father, we pray that, that you would give her peace. God, we pray that you would restore her, that you would heal her. Father, we pray that you would help her to breathe normally, God. You restore her body. Father, we pray for the Martinos as they are still in Colombia. Would you protect their health, Lord? Would you sustain them and encourage them and strengthen them? We pray for Aaron, Lord, who has 
these debilitating headaches. God, would you please grant relief even today, Lord. Father, we pray that that you would restore her. God, that you would comfort her, Lord, as she is so incredibly discouraged. Remind her, Lord, that you are with her, that you love her, that you care for her. That you would fill her with your presence. Father, I'm so thankful, Lord, for just the the ways that our church has been in unity and has expressed love for one another during this trial. We thank you for the gospel of Christ. Father, we pray that you may continue to increase our love for one another, our love for Christ, that you would continue to increase the unity that we share through the bond of the gospel. Lord, we entrust all of these things to you. Lord, you are good, and your steadfast love endures forever. Help us to remember, Lord, that that love will never forsake us. Christ Jesus is the one who died for us and was raised for our justification. And if Christ has done that on our behalf, then nothing, nothing could ever separate us from your love, Lord. May we rest in that. May we be comforted in that. We thank you, Lord Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Today we are turning to the book of Galatians. We're turning to Galatians chapter 3. We're reading verses 3, uh, excuse me, verses 7, 7 to 9 this morning. So Galatians chapter 3 and verse 7. And if you are following along with me, if you have a Bible open as you are, as you're watching, I I would encourage you to keep your Bible open, so I'll be referring back to Galatians chapter 3, several, a couple, at least a couple of different, well, actually several different passages in chapter 3 of Galatians. So Galatians chapter 3, beginning at verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, we pray that that you may speak to us this morning. Whether we realize it or not, we are in need of your word. We need to hear from you. We need a word that will sustain us throughout this week. We need a word that will sustain us through sickness, through trial, through suffering. So please speak to us, Lord. Help us to have hearts that are open to receive your word. 
strike down, Lord, any pride in our hearts that may impede our ability to receive your word. May we receive it, and may you cause your word to grow in our hearts. May you please help me as I preach your word. May you dictate every word that comes out of my mouth, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. <coughs> Excuse me. Amen. I came across an article written by a professor who is a <clears throat> who teaches at a seminary in Southeast Asia. He is having a conversation with a young Asian man, and he asked this this young man, <coughs> excuse me, in your culture, what is the greatest act of sin that someone can commit? Now, to this young man, he didn't wrestle with the fact that everyone is a lawbreaker. He didn't wrestle with the fact that everybody is a sinner because of the fact that God has a standard and everybody breaks that standard. For him, that wasn't the issue. For him, the problem is getting caught in your transgressions and shaming the person who's been offended and bringing dishonor to yourself. So his answer to the, to the question is based on the sin that brings the most shame. And the sin that brings the most shame is the sin of betrayal. Someone had once said that the saddest thing about betrayal is that it never comes from your enemies. Right? When we are betrayed, we are filled with a complexity of emotions, everything from sadness to anger. And for some of us, we also feel like we want nothing more to do with the person who has betrayed us. Now, the professor, upon hearing this young man's answer to this question, began to tell him about how man has betrayed God that God created man for himself, and that God desired nothing but, have, but to have a loving relationship with man, and yet man dishonored God by betraying God and choosing to honor other things and even honor himself above God. But God, rather than abandon his people, and even worse, destroying his people, instead he sent his beloved son to die for them and transform them from, from being a traitor to something else. So, so far we have looked at the gospel of John and saw how faith requires us to trust, to believe in the person of Jesus Christ for our salvation. We saw how faith requires us to believe in Jesus for our righteousness, that we are in desperate need of a righteousness that we cannot have, that we cannot earn, but that righteousness comes through faith in Christ also how faith requires us to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave, for without the resurrection, there is no gospel. So then as we turn then to the book of Galatians, we see how faith plays a role in our salvation, especially in our being transformed from being a traitor or a betrayer of God into something that we could have never earned. And Galatians placed this special attention on the person of Abraham. So as I, as I move forward to the rest of the sermon, I have just three points. The first is heirs of Abraham, second gospel of the scriptures, and then concluding with children of the promise. So first, heirs of Abraham. 
in the scriptures, we read that man has disobeyed God, and that leads to sin entering into the world. And what we read in the scriptures from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3 is the pervasiveness of sin. And because of sin, there's a severed relationship between God and man. And then the question becomes, how can man be reconciled with God? Excuse me, and as we continue through the book of Genesis, we see actually in Genesis chapter 12, the beginning of this solution to this grand problem between God and man. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this was God's promise to Abraham, and the, or Abram at that time. And then what we read afterwards is this man's journey, his journey of faith, which is, and what we read is that this man, there's nothing particularly special about this man. He wasn't particularly righteous, but what we read is a story of a sinful man who commits many sins, who experiences trial after trial after trial. And although God has promised that he would have offspring, that he, his offspring would be numerous, yet he waits decades upon decades without a single offspring, without a single child. And later on, God reiterates that promise to Abraham. And it tells us in Genesis 15, when God makes that promise again to Abraham, that Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And God swears by himself, he makes this this pact, this covenant, this contract with Abraham. He swears on himself, saying that if I do not fulfill this promise on your behalf, then I will bring a curse upon myself. So Abraham believes in the promise of God. He continues to trust in God. And finally, at the age of 100 years old, he and his wife have a son. And later, God repeats, reaffirms that promise to Abraham. In Genesis 22, 17, it says, Surely I will bless you, and surely I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, as the sand that is on the sea and the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So at least three times from what we've read, God makes this promise to Abraham, and Abraham continues to believe in God. And this is how we begin to see the answer to the problem of reconciliation between God and man. And yet the, pro- the, the answer is still not yet clear, just from these passages alone. And we'll continue to tease this out as we move further. But now let's turn back to our passage in Galatians. Again, the question is, how does a problem of reconciliation then find its solution in this promise made to Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 12. And we're seeing the answer, at least in part, in Galatians chapter 3 verse 7. 
where it says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Now again, the promise was that Abraham will become the father of many nations, and yet Abraham only had one son, though he did have another, but he wasn't the primary son, the son that God actually promised to him. He'll become the father of many nations, and yet he had one child of the promise. And so exactly how does the answer find its solution? How does the problem find its solution in this promise made to Abraham? And in Galatians 3, 7, it tells us that the answer is by giving children Abraham beyond his biological children. That God had intended to not only give children to Abraham naturally, biologically, but also spiritual children. But how exactly then does this resolve the problem of reconciliation? And to know that, well, then we first need to understand how God fulfills his promise to Abraham, even to this very day. This promise was made to Abraham, and Abraham believed God. And so this promise would be fulfilled not by works. It was not his personal righteousness that Abraham had, or actually that he did not have. It was not through his following the commandments of God perfectly. It was not through works. And if we look back to Genesis chapter 12 and the calling of Abraham, we see that God gave him this promise. Go out from your land, from everything that you know, to the plan that I will tell you, and I make you this promise. So what came first? Was it the calling or was it Abraham's going? Right? It was the calling. Abraham received the calling. And then in, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 4, it tells us, so Abraham went. So Abraham's going is evidence of his faith in the promise of God. He believed God, and so he went. So right from the very beginning, from the call of Abraham, we see the central role of faith. Abraham believed first, and then he went. Then later, when the promise is repeated, it tells us that Abraham believed God, and it was then counted to him as righteousness. It was credited to his account as righteousness, because Abraham did not have any righteousness. But God gave him his righteousness. As we learned last week, God gives us his righteousness through faith. God gave him righteousness through his faith in God. What we learn about faith through the life of Abraham is that faith is certainly believing in God. Faith certainly is believing in the promises of God. Faith certainly is taking God at his word. And more than these things, faith, is believing God. Faith is trusting God. Faith is not just believing in the existence of God. It is believing God himself. It is believing in his character that when God makes a promise, you can be sure that he will fulfill that promise because of who he is. Faith is believing God. Therefore, how God fulfills his promise to Abraham is by the very thing that fulfilled that promise in Abraham's life, and that is faith. 
faith is the means by which God would fulfill his promise to Abraham. Faith is what activates the promise. So therefore, how God would continue to fulfill his promise after generation, after generation, after decades, after centuries, even to today, is through faith. Not by lineage, not by works, but by faith. Romans 4.13 says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Abraham received this promise from God that he would be the father of many nations. So then if Abraham is the father of many nations through faith, then that means that the many nations, that is, the many people who make up these nations, then are heirs of Abraham. And if they are heirs of Abraham, then that means that they are sons of Abraham. That's what Galatians tells us, that's what Romans tells us, that's what it tells us throughout the scriptures. And by the way, when the scripture says it has this son's language, it is inclusive of men and women of faith. And those who are sons or heirs of Abraham are those who are of faith. Romans 4.16. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Those among the nations who are considered sons or heirs of Abraham are those who share the same faith of Abraham. Now, what I want to do is I want to transition us then to the second point, that's gospel of the scriptures. And I want to pay a special attention to a curious, a curious statement here in Galatians chapter 3 that helps us to better understand how the problem of reconciliation is resolved in this particular promise made to Abraham. So in Galatians, again, verse 7 of chapter 3, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. I wonder if you caught that. Again, it says that the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. The scriptures testify to this, so, which, by the way, is an argument for the divine authority and divine inspiration of the Word of God. Because God, we saw in Genesis chapter 12 and in other passages, that God is the one who made this promise to Abraham. But here in the New Testament tells us the Scripture gave this word to Abraham. Now it's telling us that the Scripture preached the gospel to Abraham in saying 
that in you shall all the nations be blessed. So in other words, the gospel message is in this promise that says, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So in other words, God, or the scripture, was preaching the gospel to Abraham when he received that promise. In Romans 4.13, it says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if, if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. So the scriptures is telling us that the scriptures themselves, or God himself, was preaching the gospel to Abraham and giving him this promise that would only be received or activated through faith. If it was through the law, if it was through works, then the promise would have been made void. How would it have, would it have been made void? Because if it was by works, then the promise is not something gifted, but it, then it is earned if it is by works. And God did not make the adherers of the law the inheritors of the promise, but only those who are of faith. Romans 4, 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Abraham received the promise before he was circumcised, this mark, this physical, this physical mark that would be a representation of his special relationship with God that would become also the mark of all those who came after him. But his relationship was not primarily marked through this, visible, with this physical representation. No, it was primarily represented or signified by his faith in God. That's what determined his relationship with God. And the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without receiving that physical mark. And even those who have that physical mark are required to also walk in the same footsteps of the faith that, that Abraham had. All right, so we see faith is incredibly important. Faith is what activates the promise. And faith is what makes one a child of Abraham. So the scriptures are telling us that the problem of reconciliation finds its solution in this promise made to Abraham, which essentially is the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Galatians 3.10 
helps explain that for us, how this reconciliation is achieved, for it tells us in Galatians 3.10, for all, <coughs> excuse me, who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So all are under a curse. And we know that all here means everyone except, without exception for at least three reasons. One, because no one abides by the works of the law. No one can, no matter how hard they try. Second, we know that the all here means everyone without exception because God had determined that the righteous shall live by faith. This isn't determined by, for a particular individual or a specific group of people, but God had determined that the righteous shall live by faith, meaning that everyone who would seek to live by faith, or be righteous rather, must live by faith and they shall be saved by their faith. And thirdly, the reason we know why, why the all here means everyone without exception is because it tells us that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, meaning to the nations. So it's teaching us that there is this necessity of blessing and if there is a necessity of blessing, then that means that there is a cursing. That apart from Jesus Christ, all are under a curse and not under blessing. And in order to be blessed as an heir of Abraham, one must have the same faith of Abraham, that is, believe in God and believe in the one whom God has sent, and that is Jesus Christ. Right? We must faith in Christ. Otherwise, then all are under a curse, meaning under the judgment and the wrath of God that will ultimately lead to an eternal separation from God. And so then how God achieves reconciliation with his treacherous people is by sending his son into the world to take the place of those who are cursed, to take the curse upon himself, to take the judgment of God upon himself, to take the sins of God's people upon himself and receive the wrath of God in their place so that anyone who believes in Jesus Christ, that he is the son of God, come into the world died on the cross, rose again from the dead, might be no longer under the curse of God, but under the blessing of God. So that they might receive reconciliation with God and then become an heir of Abraham. A child of Abraham. And in this way, God had always intended to fulfill his promise to Abraham that he would become the father of many nations. And this gospel answer 
that we see in this promise made to Abraham originally in Genesis chapter 12, we see it elsewhere in Galatians 3.16. Speaking about the same promise, in Galatians 3.16, it says, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does, not say, it does not say, and to his offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Many people agree this is a difficult passage to interpret, but this is what the passage means, right? Referring, it says that it doesn't refer to many offsprings, but the scriptures was actually referring to one particular offering. It tells us that, that particular offering or offspring is Christ. So when Abraham received this promise that in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, God was not just thinking about Isaac, the natural and biological offspring of Abraham, who then would inherit the promise of Abraham through faith. God wasn't just talking about the offspring of Isaac. He wasn't just thinking about all the other offsprings that would biologically and naturally come from the line of Abraham. But no, when God made this original promise to Abraham that in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, that God had one ultimate offspring in mind, and that is Jesus Christ. And the best way to learn to, to interpret the Old Testament is to read the New Testament. And it's interpreting for us that the offspring that God had ultimately intended, yes, was Isaac, yes, was Jacob and all those who came after, but God had a particular offspring in mind, and that is Jesus Christ. It was Jesus. It is Jesus who is the ultimate offspring through whom this blessing would then come to all the nations. It is Jesus that God had in mind when, he, when God preached the gospel to Abraham when he gave him this promise. It is through Christ that all the nations will be blessed. This seed of Abraham... And, and biologically, naturally, like through lineage, yes, Jesus is of the offspring of Abraham. But more than that, he is an offspring of Abraham through faith. That this was God's intention all along. The blessing of Abraham is that through faith in Jesus Christ, then the traitor, who is you and I, would then become an heir of Abraham. God's intention all along had been that was to preach the gospel to Abraham in giving him this promise. And that when God said that I will make you the father of many nations, that God had intended to make Jesus the primary, the only means of accomplishing this promise in the life of Abraham. Generation after generation, decades upon decades, even to this day. That God had always intended from the very beginning to adopt for himself children through Jesus Christ, scattered across the globe. 
So in Christ, God takes those who were once under a curse, those who were once traitors, and blesses them by making them his very heirs. So that when God gave this promise to Abraham, he was essentially preaching the gospel. He was essentially preaching Jesus Christ. And this matters a great deal for so many different reasons. This matters a great deal because it tells us that the gospel is central to the Bible. There is no way to truly understand the scriptures in the way that they were intended without the gospel of Jesus Christ, without knowing the gospel of Christ, without believing in the gospel of Christ. That the gospel is the great unifier of the entire scriptures, that the gospel itself, that Jesus himself is the one who brings cohesion to the scriptures. This matters a great deal because when the Bible says that Jesus is preeminent of all of all things, that Jesus is above all things, above every ruler and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come, it's because of this. It's because Jesus is the blessing that comes through the line of Abraham, that because Jesus is the one through the nations, is the one through whom the nations will be blessed. Jesus is the one who is worthy of all worship and praise. He has earned it. We who once deserved nothing but the judgment and the wrath of God, now we have everything in Christ. We have everything in Jesus Christ. And when you're, and you're probably, when you think about everything, you're probably thinking about several different things. You're probably thinking about, right, we have the Holy Spirit who is with us. Through Christ, we have eternal life. We have forgiveness. We have mercy. We have grace. We have now a family of God. And yes, we have all those things. But when I say that in Christ, through this ultimate offspring, through whom we are blessed and made not only sons of Abraham, but heirs of Abraham, I don't just mean all of these things that I just listed and others, but I'm thinking about something else in particular. And I want to talk to you about that. So we then transition to our last point, children of the promise. We read in the scriptures, specifically in the New Testament, how we relate to God and how God relates to us the different ways that we are identified by the Scriptures. The Scriptures identify us as servants of God or servants of Christ. We're also identified as friends of God so that our relationship is in part defined by a friendship. But the way in which the Bible most predominantly defines the relationship between the reconciled sinner and the reconciled God is one of fatherhood. That we are children and that God is is our heavenly father. The scriptures tell us that we are children of the living God. <clears throat> the blessing of becoming an heir of Abraham through faith is that not only then are you a child of Abraham, but more importantly, that makes you a child of the living God. Galatians 3.26 says, For in Christ Jesus, 
you are all sons of God through faith. Then later in verse 29, it says, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. First John says, See what kind of love that the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. In Jesus Christ, God does more than just pardon us of our sins. God, Christ, God in Christ does more than just make us righteous giving us eternal life. In Christ, God brings us into relationship with himself in a relationship that is marked by love. We were once orphans, children of darkness, and now we are God's children. We were once enemies of God, traitors, and now we are heirs. We were once estranged from God, but now we have permanent intimacy with God. J.I. Packer writes, Paul teaches that the gift of justification, that is present acceptance by God as the world's judge, brings with it the status of sonship by adoption. In Paul's world, adoption was ordinarily of young adult males of good character to become heirs and maintain the family name of the childless rich. Paul, however, proclaims God's gracious adoption of persons of bad character to become heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Justification is the basic blessing on which adoption is founded. Adoption is the crowning blessing to which justification clears the way. Adopted status belongs to all who receive Christ. The adopted status of believers means that in and through Christ, God loves them as he loves his only begotten son. Let that just settle for a moment. The adopted status of believers means that in and through Christ, God loves them as he loves his only begotten son. Son, and will share with them all the glory that is Christ's now. Here and now, believers are under God's fatherly care and discipline and are directed to live their lives in light of the knowledge that God is their Father in heaven. You are children of the living God. And God loves you as much as he loves his only begotten son. This is what it means to be adopted as sons and daughters of God, to be the offspring of Abraham, to be heirs of Abraham. We are made children of the living God, a living God who loves us as he loves his own dear son, whom he sent into the world to die for us. This is what it means to have faith in the gospel, to have faith in God, to have faith in Christ. This is what it means for us. This is what it does for us. We are loved by God through faith in Jesus Christ. What is this? So that what this means for you, it 
Romans 4, 13, it says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So kind of getting back to why I had said before that in Christ we have everything. Now I'm kind of getting to what I mean by everything. Here in Romans 4.13, it tells us that the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world. What is Abraham's inheritance? His inheritance is the world. The promise to him and to his offspring would be that they would become the heir of the world. And Jesus, we saw in Galatians 3.16, also in Galatians 3.7 and 8, how the gospel was preached to Abraham in this promise, and that this ultimate offspring was, had always been intended to be Jesus Christ, through whom blessing would come to the nations. That Jesus is the promised offspring. And he will be the dispenser of blessings to the nations. And because Jesus then is the offspring of Abraham, not only through, not only through lineage, but also, also through faith, that also then makes him an inheritor of the world. Because again, Romans 4.13 says, the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he will be the heir of the world. So that Jesus is the heir of the world. More than that, Hebrews 1 also affirms this, that tells us that Jesus had been appointed to be the heir of all things. And then, in Romans chapter 8, it says that well, we did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children of God, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So then Romans 8, if, if, if Abraham's inheritance is the world, and that promise is made to his offspring that they would inherit the world, and Jesus is the offspring of Abraham, and has, he has been appointed to be the heir of all things. And if we, by faith, are children of Abraham, thereby making us children of God, Romans 8 is telling us not only are we co-heirs with Abraham, but that we are fellow heirs with Christ. And that the inheritance that Christ receives is everything, then that means that our inheritance is everything as well. In fact, Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, Jesus, at the very beginning of his preaching the Sermon on the Mount in the Beatitudes, he says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And the meek are those who are of faith. As sons of God, you and I have an inheritance, and that inheritance is the world. Provided, it tells us in Romans 8, that we suffer with Christ in order that we may be glorified with Christ. What does this mean? It is because you will one day inherit everything that Jesus says to you to take up your cross, to die to yourself daily and follow him. That's what it means to suffer with Christ today. It is because you will one day inherit everything that Jesus says that if you love him more than your mother, more than your father, more than your spouse, more than your children, more than all others, he will bless you with those things in great abundance. 
If you were to walk into a casino, not that I think you would, I don't think you should because I think gambling is a form of sin, but let's just say that you were to walk into a casino, and it's a grand casino, and it's a very successful casino, and the owner himself comes to you with a contract that he's already signed and says that the next game that you play in this casino, you are guaranteed to win, and you will win a hundred times whatever you put in. So if you say you gamble $10, then you will win a hundredfold. If you gamble $1,000, then you will win a thousand, you will win a hundredfold. Whatever you put in, you will win a hundredfold. Here's the contract. Here's an agreement. If that was the case, if that were actually true, what would you put up? You would probably put up everything. You would probably, I would probably empty my bank account, put up my house, put up my vehicle if I could be guaranteed that I will gain a hundredfold. And this is the promise that Jesus makes. He may not ask you to give up everything you own, though for some he actually does. I think of missionaries, for example, who give up everything, risk everything. I think they do so in part because one day they will inherit everything. But God does ask you to give up that which is most precious to you, that which is of greatest value in all that you possess, and that is your life. Jesus says, give up your life and follow me to the very end of your days, and I will give you much more, infinitely more. God has promised that you will inherit everything. That you will inherit the very earth. That is much more than the richest person can give to anybody. Nobody can give to anybody the entire world and everything in it. But only God can because he owns it all and he gives that promise to all those who believe in Jesus and follow him for the rest of his life. And so how does knowing that you have this inheritance coming to you, how might this change you today? You might be able to think of several different ways of how this might affect you or change you today, but just to name a few. For one, as we're thinking about adoption and our being sons and daughters of the living God, I want to encourage you to address God as your Abba Father. Now, there are probably things that have happened in your life, maybe things today that might, for whatever reason, prevent you from thinking about God or addressing God as Father. I think sometimes we, we sort of back away from addressing God as our Father, as our Abba, because we also want to revere Him, we want to respect Him, but that loss of reverence isn't lost when we address God as Father, just as a child should not lose a reverence for his father, the respect and the honor that is due to a father, we can and should address God as our Abba Father, to aid, to pray to him as our Abba, to plead to him as our Abba, to worship him as our Abba. Jesus is 
has purchased this relationship on your behalf so that you can call God your Father. Address Him as such. He's giving you an inheritance that He does not give to anyone else because you are a son or daughter of God. Secondly, knowing that you have this incredible inheritance waiting for you that is guaranteed to you at the end of the finish line, does it not give you a sense of security today? That no matter what you are going through, no matter what trials you're experiencing, no matter the kind of suffering that you are enduring, knowing that you have this incredible inheritance waiting for you, guaranteed for you, gives you a sense of security today. That not all is lost, that you are not abandoned. That no matter how little, perhaps, that you might have today, that no matter how much you wish you had, you can have a sense of security in knowing that one day as a son or daughter of God, you will inherit everything. Thirdly, knowing that you have this inheritance waiting for you should lend itself to you becoming a much more content person content with what you have, content with what you've been given, might lead you to be much more generous and gracious in the giving of your time, energies, resources, finances, to be less worried about money and how little you have because you know that you have this inheritance coming to you. And lastly, knowing that we have this inheritance coming to us, does it not then compel you to give up sins today, to give up your sins today? To lay down, to lay aside the sins that weigh so heavily and run with endurance the course that is set for us. To give up the sins that promise us only this temporary, immediate pleasures at the forsaking of eternal and permanent and lasting delight that is waiting for you. Every sin is a step in the wrong direction, in the opposite direction. Let us lay aside our sins. Let us give up our sins because we know that we have this inheritance waiting for us if we will just endure long enough, if we will just make it to the end, even if we have to (laughs) drag ourselves across the finish line, we will do so because we want this inheritance so, so badly. You have an inheritance waiting for you. Those who know that they will one day possess everything are willing to give up everything today that might impede them from possessing everything in Christ and with Christ. So then let us address God as our Abba Father, to relate to Him as such. Let us be overwhelmed with a sense of security, knowing that God has secured for us this inheritance and is giving to us every day everything that we need today in order to get closer to that inheritance. Let us be more content and be more gracious 
in our giving and let us give up our sins because we have this inheritance waiting for us as children of God, as heirs of this promise. Amen. Let's pray. Abba, Father, we thank you for being so gracious to us. We thank you because you have adopted us as your sons and daughters. And it could have just been that. You could have just simply adopted us as your children, given us this permanent intimacy with you, giving us this wonderful and loving relationship with you. God, but you do more than that. Abba, you even give us an inheritance. You make us co-heirs with your son so that we will one day possess everything. We thank you. We thank you, Father. We thank you for being so gracious to us. Thank you for these blessings. Help us to endure to the end, to receive this blessing. God, let us be changed by this truth that we have this inheritance. To be changed by this truth that we will one day inherit everything with Christ. God, if we were told that we will, that $10 million will be deposited into our account today, that would change our lives. That would make us much more joyful. That would make us much more excited. That would make us much more content. How much more knowing that we have an inheritance waiting for us that is guaranteed to us. Lord, Father, let this change our hearts today. Let us be transformed by it. Let us be encouraged by it. Lord, we trust you for these things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.